Thank you, Dr. Menon, and it's great to be here. Uh, even though you know I'm always in the research atmosphere, I, I always like to go sometime, you know, out into the completely different environment, such as like this, and get a chance to talk with students, uh, you know, faculty. I've been do actually doing that, you know, quite a lot now this day. I mean. The, the end of this month, there is another nanoscience lecture series at Octon Community College. You know, they are organizing, it's an NSF, you know, funded program. So I'll be there also talking about, you know, the nanotechnology and some of the, uh, the kits that we have developed uh, for teaching students about nanotechnology. But it's great to be here and I was really impressed with the labs that, you know, Dr. Menon showed me. Uh, and I think this is very important. I mean, the Argonne National Lab is a great resource just, you know, down here, seven miles. So, and, and she is, you know, coming there working and that's how this connection is made. So I think you guys should really, you know, take advantage of a, such a great resources available right to your, you know, there are many uh, students which are, you know, not that fortunate to have this kind of great resources available right here in Illinois. I mean, we have two national labs you know, Fermi National Lab is another great resource. So I will urge you, I mean, there are so many different programs at national labs, uh, you know, summer programs, and, and now Dr. Menas is our, our point of contact. So, I mean, she can tell you, you know, even more about what the things, you know, goes there. But uh, let me, you know, start with the, uh, the presentation today that I, you know, put together. Um, you know, some of the things there, uh, I mean, I structure my talk mostly about some introduction about the nanotechnology and the research work that I do. But I actually filtered down that research work in a such a way that hopefully you will get to understand. For example, I'm a material scientist uh, and I work with the different allotropes of carbon that Dr. Menon mentioned, including diamond. I mean, diamond everybody knows, uh, but what are its technological importance? You know, what are the scientific areas where diamond is useful for us, what's the next generation of technology that we are working with diamond. So that's some of the things that I will touch upon. And there is a new material, graphene. If you know graphite, and if you just you know peel off the one atom layer of a graphite, it's called graphene. And in 2010, you know, the two scientists from UK got the Nobel Prize in physics for that. So it's, it's completely changing the world right now. And I'll you know, touch upon what are the things that we are doing in graphene. And, and then I'll you know, talk about some introduction about the, uh, the nanotechnology you know, kit that we have developed that could be utilized you know, for teaching students about the nanotechnology. So you know, um, there are some of the things that I may not be able to cover because of the time, but I think you know, you're welcome to ask me any questions you know, later on during the talk. Uh, so let me just give you a, a brief introduction about the Argonne National Lab. Uh, so it's, it's a big lab, you know, about 3,300, uh, you know, employee and, and uh, about 1,623 are the PhDs, you know, working there. And, and our annual operating budget is about $800 million. And, and uh, the kind of things that we do here at Argonne National Lab is really the next generation of things. I mean, what we are working on today, maybe 10 years from now, these things will be in the market as a product. Uh, so I think it would be great, uh, you know, for you to learn, you know, what are the things that we are working currently right now in this area. So uh, I work in the Center for Nanoscale Materials. That's one of the division at Argonne National Lab. You know, there are many different aspects, you know, of science that we 
looked at it, whether it is biology, whether it is you know physics uh, and and you know nanoscience or advanced photon source where you know there is a combination of many different you know aspects of science that we look at but uh, uh, center for nanoscale materials is established by department of energy uh, you know in our almost 2006 and there are five such centers at five different national labs and the main idea of, of having these centers is that this will be the centers of excellence, which means we'll have all the state-of-the-art facilities available that general university won't have, you know, that kind of uh, facilities. So the idea is that you write a proposal to us, and if it meets our criteria, then you get a, you know, time to come and use those facilities for free completely. And it's not necessarily just from the U.S. Anyone from all over the world can access this facility. So this is a great resources, you know, for you know researchers, students, industry, to explore new frontiers in science. So, I mean, I will talk a little bit about you know nanotechnology, and and you know there has been a lot of uh, discussion, and you might have seen also in some of the magazines, and you know we have been talking about nanotechnology for many years. So what exactly it's having impact on our lives? You know, uh, I mean, sometimes there is more even hype than, uh, you know, what exactly it's, you know, happening. So that's why I put together some list here, uh, which is actually changing our lives in any many, many different ways, the nanotechnology. Uh, advanced materials breakthrough technology in medicine, you know, energy, water filter, uh, water purification. So these are just one examples. Also, you know, there are many advances going on in energy storage in terms of battery, you know, uh, transmission, and also uh, conversion of, you know, many forms of different energy, you know, into different resources that could be utilized. The most important thing, of course, is the computation. I mean, everything is now uh, based on machine learning. And, and you might have seen, you know, many examples of that around you, you know, including, you know, uh, the Facebook now is, is uh, on the top right now. Oh, I mean, there are cer certain, you know, disadvantage of that, and, and, but many things in the science could be put to use about the, you know, data generation that could be utilized for predicting, you know, things, you know, well in advance. Uh, weather forecasting is also another, you know, area. Uh, you know, there is a lot of research going, you know, in, in the area of healthcare, and, and, uh, in atomic precision, you know, looking at the surfaces, you know, that we were never imagined that we'll be able to, we can look at, you know, even inside the atom now and, and to look at how the spins of the atoms could be used for what is called as the quantum computing. So uh, there are many different things going on in the nanoscience. So let me just give you, when we talk about nanotechnology, what is important is the length scale. Uh, so when we say nano, you know, how small is the nano? Uh, and I think you can get to know just by looking at this beautiful, you know, picture. This is a family vacationing on a beautiful, you know, beachfront. And, and if you just look at, you know, the you know, size scale analysis, the sun, you know, the diameter of the sun is almost 10 to the ninth, you know, meter, uh, very large object. And, and, and if you look at, you know, the other objects, which is, uh, you know, the, the length, uh, height of a you know person about you know two meters, uh, and then you know, since they are you know on the the beach in the sunny beach, you know if they are applying some kind of sunscreen lotion, 
which consists of nanoparticles of titanium dioxide and their particle size is 100 nanometers, so another, you know, in, in the length scale. And then if you look at the water molecule, you know, the distance in the water molecule is about 0.275 nanometers. Uh, so you can get the idea of when we say nano, you know, how small it is as compared to the big objects, you know, like comparing with the sun. So when you make this thing small, many things changes. And, and you know, as you go down in size, the properties of the material changes drastically. So how do you make nano? So there are two ways to make nano. One is a top-down approach. Uh, so in this case, you start with the material and then you carve the material you know, down to nano size using a different tools you know, that are available there. The other area, and this is, this is kind of a micro machines, you know, the size is in micron here. And then another area is called bottom up. That means you build from the scratch. You know, you deposit materials. And so these are the two different ways of making nano, either top down or bottom up. You know, I'll be mostly talking about, you know, a top down approach here today. And in here, this is an example of some of the nano wires which are grown you know, by using the chemical vapor deposition process. This is bottom up. So in my group at uh, CNM, uh, I work on many different areas. And some of the areas, you know, either making these micro machines out of diamond, you know, which could be used, you know, one day um, going inside the human artery, you know, doing the uh, kind of surgery which is needed. Why diamond? Because diamond is biocompatible. You know, its uh, body recognizes that, you know, as a friendly. Uh, so you can actually produce these nanobots that go inside into the tumor, you know, operation and then go through your urinary tract. So that's a very safest way, you know, that we are looking at how these micro machines can be made out of nanodiamonds. Uh, there are sensors that we are building which is made out of, you know, a nano wire. So this is a nano crystalline diamond. I'll I will mention, you know, later on what's the diamond, what is nanocrystalline diamond, which has very high surface to volume, you know, ratio. So any molecules, you know, that land onto the surface, the electrical resistance changes of that nanowire drastically. And there is a selectivity that you can tag particular molecules and so they will, you know, recognize whether it is anthrax molecule or, you know, whether it is something, you know, completely different. So. And that's the very sensitive biosensor, you know, that we are making or any other sensor for that matter. Uh, we are also working on, you know, utilizing this diamond uh, as a piezoresistive. So, I mean, I won't go into too much, you know, into the details. So piezoresistive just is that when you press something, it changes the resistance. So it's called piezoresistance. So when you dope diamond with the boron, then it has this kind of properties. So it is a very, very good touch sensor in that sense. So we are developing sensor which will be integrated, you know, with the robots so that the robots will know how much force that they have to apply uh, to, you know, pick up the delicate object like egg or, you know, throwing a ball, you know, a football or something. So, so, so these are the kind of things that we can teach them, uh, but the sensor has to be accurate in that way to understand, you know, what kind of forces that is needed. Um, and then later I will talk about some of the things in lubrication. It's a very different area, and you know the oil is used everywhere for lubrication, but we are developing a next generation of lubrication based on graphene, which is completely solid lubrication. So you can imagine one day, you know, 
I mean, everybody has a car and then you have to change the oil in your car after some time. But how about, you know, you never had to change the oil in your car, you just put a graphene and it will work forever. Uh, so that kind of thing that we are working on. And then I'll just touch upon a little bit about the next gen STEM kit that we have developed uh, for classroom-based, you know, uh, uh, approach where you can fabricate these nanowires, you know, in your benchtop experiment without going into the, you know, sophisticated lab like our own national labs. So let me talk about, you know, diamond a little bit. Um, and, you know, diamond and graphite, again, you know, these are the you know, same, uh, you know, different allotrope of the same element carbon, but because the atomic arrangement is so different, one is extremely hard, whereas one, you know, is a soft. Uh, and, and if you look at converting, you know, diamond into graphene or graphite, you know, it's easy, you just burn diamond, you know, in air and it will, you know, turn into the coal. But if you want to convert the graphite into diamond, you know, it has to climb this energy barrier, uh, which is very, very high. And, and uh, so generally, how the diamonds are created inside the earth crust, you know, billions of years, you know, they, they embed there inside uh, because of very high pressure, very high temperature, and with the lava, they come out. And that's how you, you know, excavate diamond. Uh, but, you know, you, you'll be, you might be knowing this phrase, you know, diamonds are forever, but scientifically speaking, diamond is a metastable phase of carbon. Um, so graphite is the stable phase of carbon. Uh, so if you put diamond, you know, uh, in the air with the UV light coming, you know, from the sun, it will take million years to convert the top layer of the diamond into some graphitic layers. So that's why, you know, it's called diamonds are forever. But scientifically speaking, it's, you know, every time it's degrading actually with time, but the degradation time is over a million years. So that's why, relatively speaking, we say diamonds are forever. Um, so let me go to the, uh, the phase diagram. So don't get scared with this phase diagram because it's very simple and I'll tell you, you know, how this is works. So you have pressure and the temperature scale and there are different ways of forming diamond, okay? So generally, if you, you know, use the, uh, the general method, which is called high pressure, high temperature method, which is started by General Electric, 1950, you know, they actually built a tetrahedral press where they put graphite, squeezed very high pressure and high temperature, and then they convert. So they exactly produce, reproduce the same condition that exists, you know, inside the earth mantle. Uh, and they convert the graphite into diamond. So that falls, you know, in this area, it's called high pressure, high temperature synthesis. Then there is also another way, you know, it's called shock wave synthesis. It's a very funny way of making diamond. You, you actually take graphite, you wrap up with the TNT explosives, put it in a big chamber, explode. And then because of the shock wave and the temperature, you know, it converts the, the graphite into nano diamond. And that's, that's, you know, happens within this temperature and pressure range. But there is very another interesting region here, which the temperature range is between, you know, 400 to 1000 degrees Celsius. And the pressure is actually less than atmospheric pressure. And that's called chemical vapor deposition. And that's what, you know, Dr. Menon is actually working, at, uh, working on at Argon, utilizing the system there. So you just use methane, you know, as a gas. And, and hydrogen and argon, and then you, you know, apply the activation energy, which could be either hot filament or microplasma, 
So you dissociate methane into the carbon radicals and then that's how you synthesize diamond you know, as a thin film. And, and it has a tremendous applications in that way. So that was the major breakthrough you know, that happened that allow this diamond film to form you know, at much lower pressure and temperature and, and that's how now we are utilizing it or you know, thinking of utilizing it for various applications. So uh, let me go uh, you know, right back in the synthesis by using HPHT method. This is the team you know, of the GE scientist and this is the tetrahedral press that I mentioned. And, and uh, you know, with this you can form a diamond with a different color. And now it's very interesting that if you introduce the nitrogen as an impurity, it has a yellow color. If you introduce boron as an impurity, you have a nice blue color. This is, by the way, Hope Diamond. If you go to the Washington DC, you know, go to the Smithsonian Institute and, you know, there you will see this Hope Diamond already there. Uh, very beautiful. Uh, but the level of impurity is just parts per billion, you know, just one atom in billion atom. If it is of boron or nitrogen, then you change the optical properties. That's really amazing, you know, such a small impurity. So, you know, there are, as I said, you know, the pressure is very high and the temperature is very high in this case. Uh, so, you know, its use was mostly for jewelry purpose, not for technological purpose. But the way that we started working on the gas phase synthesis, and, and I think, you know, in 1962, you know, there was a first patent uh, uh, filed by Union Carbide on synthesizing, you know, diamond from the gas phase. And then in 1972, you know, there was a major breakthrough by Russian scientists by using gas activation. They actually introduced the hydrogen gas. And that was the major breakthrough because then you were able to increase the yield of, you know, producing diamond. And then all over the world, you know, there was a lot of activity going on producing diamond films. So at Aragon National Labs in 1992, you know, Professor uh, Dr. Dieter Gruen uh, and his, you know, colleagues were actually looking at this. And uh, 1998, where I joined uh, the our National Lab as a, you know, postdoctoral, you know, we actually worked on producing this diamond. And since then, you know, there is a lot of research activity going on in this area. So, you know, over the years uh, at Argonne National Lab, we developed many different technologies based on diamond. And there is also a company from last 12 years now called Advanced Diamond Technology down in the Romeoville, which are producing different products based on diamonds. So this is one example. Uh, this is a pump seal, uh, which is made out of, you know, a coating, which is wear and friction resistant diamond film. This is used in many chemical industry as a pump seal. Uh, and then uh, there is also another uh, product that is by second sight. Uh, this is the artificial retina which is completely made out of diamond. Uh, and then, you know, we actually came up with the MEMS, microelectromechanical systems. Uh, this is used in advanced radar communications for defense industry. Uh, and then uh, here is one application where these are the, uh, the micro drill bits. These drill bits are used for intricate machining of very hard, you know, metal alloys. Uh, so this is a company, NCD Technology in Wisconsin commercializing, you know, these applications. Um, and, and there are various others, you know, uh, but I'll just, you know, talk about now different things that we are doing. So uh, this is the machine that we have at the Center for Nanoscale Materials. Uh, and this is basically a big, you know, microwave oven. 
it's, it's just the energy is very high, you know, the size is very high, but it's uh, the same concept of your microwave oven in kitchen. Um, and, you know, what we do here is we actually synthesize diamond film by introducing different gases like methane, hydrogen, argon, and then, you know, uh, raising the temperature of the substrate that you're going to deposit by about 800 degrees Celsius, and you get a nice, beautiful, you know, film of diamond on a silicon wafer like this. So if you look at the scanning electron, you know, microscope image, uh, you will see the nice faceted diamond. Uh, but by playing with the different gas composition, you can either have a nanocrystalline or ultra nanocrystalline diamond. Now, you know, there are different usage of, you know, changing the grain size and everything uh, that I won't go into the detail. Uh, but with this, we developed the technology where, you know, we can make a CMOS compatible. CMOS is the term which is generally used you know, semiconductor electronics uh, for interfacing, you know, the silicon uh, technology with the outside world. And so this was the, the project that I mentioned, the RF MEM switches that we actually worked on in making on large area, which is uh, now on the way for the commercialization. So what are the applications of this diamond? You know, so it's chemically inert, very high hardness. It has a very, very low friction. Uh, and then it is also, diamond is considered as a insulator, but if you dope with either boron or nitrogen or phosphorus, you know, you can have uh, electrical conductivity just like metal. So, which is very useful along with its, you know, its chemical inert properties. It's also biocompatible. Uh, some of the things that I won't go, it's a field emission property means ability to emit electrons and which is very good for, you know, various other applications. So, these are some of the products I already mentioned some of those V4 which are in the market by Advanced Diamond Technology, which is a spin-off company from Argon. Uh, this is a water filter, which is, uh, you know, used by using boron doped diamond, which produces, you know, huge amount of ozone and purifies your water. Mechanical phase seals and some of the nanotechnology applications like atomic force microscope tips. Uh, this is used for, you know, imaging some of the, uh, the semiconductor electronic components where if you just use silicon tips, they wear out very quickly, but you're using diamond tips, so it can, you know, last longer. And recently we came up uh, with this nanotechnology education kit. Uh, there is a company called United Scientific Supplies, which actually marketing that, and I think it's good to know that, you know, Dr. Menon has now, so you have access to this nice kit. Uh, so now I'll explain a little bit about how that works. So let's start with some of the things that I already you know, talked about in little more details. So diamond micro machines. So as I already mentioned, as you go from big size, like this is a car engine, to, you know, a micro machines like this, and, you know, even smaller scale. So the surface to volume ratio, you know, increases. So as you go to the smaller size, surface is everything. And, you know, the surface is, is a very, very difficult, uh, to deal with because it has a stickiness, you know, it has a lot of adhesion. So if you want to make any micro machines, you know, which are down to nano scale, it's, you know, you actually face with a lot of challenges to make it work. So this is the one example where the micro machines are made out of silicon. So these are the gears. And then some of the examples, if you try to, you know, spin that, it wears down very, very quickly and then you will see this kind of failures. And that is because of the inherent material properties of that silicon. You know, it has a very high, 
you know, uh, oxidation, uh, which gives a higher adhesion and higher friction. So people are looking for new materials where they can fabricate this kind of micro machines where, you know, it will last much longer, will not wear down, and which will be much more efficient. So we looked at different materials. Uh, silicon carbide is another such material. Uh, but in terms of properties, you know, the diamond stands out. Diamond has very high hardness, very high fracture strength, very low friction coefficient, and very long, you know, wear life. So that makes, you know, diamond as one of the candidate material. And then we actually developed this technology, you know, a uh, few years back. And his, here is one of the simple micro machine that you can make out of diamond. So this is it's called Chevron type thermal actuator. So it's very, very easy to understand that these are the two, you know, uh, prongs that you see. And then, you know, these are the electrically conducting diamond. So if you flow the current through this, they heat. So when the material heat, what happens? You know, it expands, okay? So it heats and it expands in this direction. So if you actually provide an electrical pulse that is actually heating it, then you know you will cause this kind of motion, the linear motion. So this is what we have used, you know, in diamond. So by using the microfabrication technology, you know, we fabricated uh, uh, this machine here, and I'll show you uh, by using actuation. So you can clearly see how this, uh, as you can clearly see. You know, there is a linear motion that is happening there, so which is in few microns. So you can think of attaching that into the gear assembly, and then you know you can have any kind of motion. Um, and then we looked at you know the amount of power that it needs is is very very low. Plus, being diamond, it's robust. It can work in any harsh environment condition. It can even work you know, with the human blood because, you know, diamond has a very low sticking coefficient uh, for a thrombosis to occur. So, so these are the, one of the, you know, features. And then the most important thing that you would like to see is that if I make the gear out of diamond, how long it will last. So we actually created a, a small machine where, you know, we are actually causing it, you know, the friction to occur along this edge. And then we are looking at the wear you know, with respect to number of, you know, cycles. So what we see is that previously, the, you, know, you know, there is some little wear which is actually happens during the polishing of these asperities. Once that is done, you know, there is no wear at all. So even after millions of cycles, if you use silicon, you know, within few hundred cycles, the whole device is gone. But here, even with the millions of cycles, nothing happens, you know, to the diamond. So this is one of the, you know, robustness that diamond micro machine can provide. So where it can be used, you know, there are many applications for microsurgical tool like biopsy. Uh, it could be, you know, minimally invasive. Uh, it could be micro gripper in corrosive liquids and that could be, you know, used to pick and place the objects uh, in a MEMS switches. This is again for electronics, you know, MEMS, uh, just like the RF MEMS switches that I mentioned for communications. And also for causing, you know, different things to, you know, move in a different direction, you know, at a different length scale by using the wear-resistant micro gears. So for space application also for moving the mirrors and everything that could be used. Now let's go to the different topic now and, and I'll talk about some of the, uh, the next generation STEM kit that we have developed. 
in collaboration with the United Scientific. So, you know, the can a single conductive diamond edge, you know, produce a wire. So here, what we are doing is insulating wire and depositing a conducting, you know, diamond, and then again insulating layer, and then putting that, you know, into electrochemical cell like a copper sulfate, and then applying the voltage and seeing whether, you know, a copper wire can be deposited on a diamond conducting edge. And then what we see is that, yes, very beautiful, you know, gold wire in this case is fabricated uh, in a very simple way uh, in this case. So, so that was a really exciting to see that you can deposit a nice nanowires, not just copper or gold, many different, you know, wires, uh, which you can have the ionic liquid or the electrochemical solution. And, and uh, so you can manufacture different, you know, wires, different shape by using this process. Now the question is why diamond? So first of all, diamond is chemically inert. So if you create a template with the diamond, then you can deposit and remove the things, you know, off the diamond and reuse the template again and again. So it's a kind of a mass production that you're utilizing. And the, the template is never sacrificed. So this is a breakthrough for the, you know, nano manufacturing technology for producing nanowires which could be used for various applications. So this wafers, you know, you can make any kind of patterns, even your school logo, you know, whatever. And then once you deposit, you know, you can reuse. So this is a scanning electron microscope image of a, that edge, and then you can make either nanowire or microwire, depending on, you know, whether you are depositing much longer. So we can make different nanowires of different materials, different shape and sizes, uh, you know, and then you can put a polymer on top, even you can put a scotch tape and peel off and, you know, uh, send it to another area. In fact, one of the, uh, uh, the Octon Community College, uh, you know, some of the students have a project, they are working with us, where they are making a hand warmer. So they are actually, you know, creating these copper wires and then you know, transferring it into the fabrics and they're gonna attach, you know, a nine volt battery and then, you know, it will be like a hand warmer because, you know, you can manipulate the resistance uh, that way. So, uh, so this is a beautiful technology that once you have the template, you can make nanostructure without going into the expensive clean room. And, and that's a great way. Now we are working on, you know, and, and for technological applications, you know, it, it is in many different areas like RFID, you know, security paper, you can have, uh, make solar cell. In fact, that's the next generation now we are working on. So you can make a solar cell screen print and then you can just apply, you know, uh, the, the light and you will see the voltage generated. So within five minutes, you can make a solar, solar cell in your lab. And, and, and that's a great way, you know, to explain, you know, the processes involved and, and the student can make the solar cell by, you know, themselves and test the properties. So it's a very nice way of, you know, learning the nanotechnology and also learning about science. So, well, I mean, these are the different elements and metals that we can make out of just by using this nine volt battery electrochemical cell. In fact, if you have the electrochemical solution available in chemistry, you can make all this thing, you know, synthesis. You can synthesize the whole library, you know, on your lab, in your lab. So these are the different nanowires that we have fabricated. You can even make a flexible, you know, nanowire network. In this case, it's a copper and nickel nanowire that we have made. 
And then if you look at the EDX, which actually look at the different elements, you can clearly see which one is nickel, which one is copper, you know, and the fabrics that we have fabricated here. So this could be used for many different applications, you know, even medical clothing, antibacterial, you know, bandage and things like that. So uh, this is now a product already available you know, in the market and uh, you know, I don't have to say much because you already have that here. Uh, and I think uh, uh, I'll be, uh, Dr. Menon is setting a visit of few students from here to the, to the CNM where you will get to you know, see not only that setup and, but you know, can utilize it and do some many experiments as you can do here also. Uh, this is just one, you know, examples making this kind of nano wire. You can transfer it and make a pressure or a touch sensor. So what you have here is a glass plate, and on the glass plate you transfer many of those nano wires, and then th these are the just you know two uh, electrical wires coming and you know completing the circuit. So the gap that even you don't see anything in there, these are the nano wires. So if you touch that, you know it will complete the circuit and then it will you know, make the LED you know, lit. So uh, this is a very rudimentary you know, way of making a touch sensor here. But you can, you know, your imagination can go wild and you can do many different things once yeah, you have this kind of you know, tool available in your hand. So let me go on to the graphene a little bit. So uh, as I mentioned, you know, these are the two scientists uh, you know, from Manchester University in UK. Uh, and and uh, you know, they discovered that in 2004 and 2010, they awarded you know, Nobel Prize. This was the fastest you know, Nobel Prize actually after discovering in 2004 and then making it to the Nobel Prize uh, because of the extraordinary properties that this material you know, offer. Now, what is this exactly graphene? As I mentioned, you know, if you take a graphite and if you can isolate you know, the one atom thick layer, because graphite is formed by layer structure, uh, so it's very easy to peel. In fact, when you're writing you know, with your pencil, uh, you're actually exfoliating that graphene, and that's why when you're writing it, that's actually multi-layer graphene. If you, if, you, if you write something on a paper and put it you know, under the electron microscope, you will see many layers, which is actually individual layer is a graphene. So there are many different applications coming up in flexible and wearable electronics, where you can you know, measure the, uh, the different electrocardiogram, not only, you, know, you can also measure your blood sugar and everything. So many things going on in electronics world, but I was mostly you know, attracted by its mechanical properties. Just one atom thick, but you know, there is a very nice cartoon uh, which shows if you have a pin on top of this one atom thick graphene, it can balance a whole elephant because its young modulus is about one terapascal. So it's a very, very you know, uh, high. I mean, this is the highest young modulus of any material that you can imagine. It can be stretched 20% you know, more than its original size. And so we were wondering about if the mechanical properties are so good, what about you know, the wear friction properties, which is called as tribological properties. So we started working in this area from last six years. And, and then, you know, if you talk about friction, uh, you will imagine like uh, where the friction is used. I mean, if you look at the various examples that I'm showing here, whether it is micro machines or wind turbine or even your car, 
you know, your efficiency is always affected by the friction in those machines. So if you can reduce the friction, even by a small amount, you are actually gaining, you are actually gaining a lot uh, in terms of not only energy efficiency, but the cost that is you know, needed to produce. So just an example, if you take your internal combustion driven car and then look at the energy dissipated, you know, through different components when you are moving car, uh, and if you look at, you know, the only energy that is dissipated or the go west by friction is about 17%, okay? So 17% of your, you know, car is, is mostly affected by friction and that's where, you know, the mileage, when you talk about mileage, is all about friction in your internal combustion engine uh, and that causing, you know, that kind of friction, uh, you know, the loss. So imagine if we can reduce that, you know, to near zero, then, you know, not only you will have, you know, a mileage which is, you know, very great, uh, but you can also reduce the emission of hazardous material because mostly these friction reducing agents are oil based and they produces, you know, hazardous waste into the environment because you have to dump the oil, you know, somewhere or you have to burn it. And, and that always creates this kind of, you know, environmental hazard. So we are always working on how we can reduce that. If there's any way that can, we can completely eliminate oil by using some next generation lubricants. So, so we started working on graphene and then, you know, here are some of the example. This is, could be a little bit technical for you, but if you just look at, you know, the advantages here, you know, as compared to the oil-based lubricants, uh, it requires very, very small amount, you know, just few drops, you know, can actually cause, you know, a lot of changes in your wear friction properties. Uh, you can apply much larger area. And then if you just compare, there's a steel surface, you know, in ball bearing, there is always steel rubbing against steel. And if you compare with the rest of the lubricants, which are already out there, you know, the wear is reduced by 10,000 times and the friction is by six times just by using this, you know, automatically clean lubricants that we have established. And the cost for, you know, doing that is also not drastic. So this is the next revolution that is coming up in lubrication industry right now. So just to give you an example, uh, if you look at the friction of a graphite, you know, which is uh, used as a lube, graphite lube as a lubricant, you know, in most of the applications, it works only in one area, like, in dry nitrogen, when you are actually in a much drier environment, for example, in Chicago winter, is very dry. So if you have a lube, uh, graphite lube, uh, and you might have actually experienced this in your, you know, lab uh, door knobs. So they more squeak in winter because the lube in there, you know, is not working. Uh, and that's the example. So if you use graphite lubes, you know, it has very high friction in a dry environment, but low friction in humid air. Uh, and, and uh, but if you use the graphene, you know, whether it is dry or humid, you know, you have always low friction. So that was a, you know, first breakthrough that we achieved in the lab. And then we started working on it with the industry, you know. Uh, so we came up with another process. Again, this is a little bit more complicated. So in this case, we actually combined the graphene with the nanodiamond particles. And, and that's where we reduce the friction to even, you know, near zero, 0 0.004. So even 10 times, you know, reduction in friction here. So now we are actually working with different industries 
Uh, and some of the industries uh, which are right here from Illinois, uh, this is called dry gas seal. So I don't know if you have seen a movie called Event Horizon, uh, where actually they are you know pumping the oil from offshore, and then there is explosion happens because of the leakage, and then the whole platform you know burnt down, and and that is a specifically you know very hazardous condition that these men worked you know in a very adverse environment. So if the seal fell, you know, while you're excavating the gas or the oil, uh, is because of the wear friction properties of that particular seal. So this is the biggest, you know, uh, the loss that this company, you know, can endure if their seal doesn't work. So they are working with us now in reducing the wear and friction by applying this kind of coating, you know, to their seals. Now another example is also uh, this is another program that we are working with. Uh, with a company called Magna. Uh, so you might have seen that the car you know, has a different shape and sizes. So what they do is they actually come up with a metal foil and they stamp it at a little high temperature, like 400 degrees Celsius, to you know, have the shape of that car. So when they do it, there is a metal-metal contact, so there is a friction. Uh, so if we can reduce that friction, then you, know, you can again increase the energy efficiency of the car, and, and one of the processes that they use is if currently they use oil-based or some hazardous you know, solid lubricant. So they have to remove it and then paint the car. Uh, so if you can eliminate that steps with the graphene, you know, that would be great. So this is another program that we are working. So hopefully within the next few years, you know, we'll have another revolution in that industry. Now there are many other applications. I'm just listing a few here. Wind turbines is another great example. You, know, you need some minimum wind speed uh, to turn the wheels of the wind you know, turbine. And, and that is because of the inertia and that is because of the friction. So if you reduce the friction to near zero, then even with a small wind speed, you, know, you can have energy production. So you can imagine after a you know, few years, you can install your personal you know, wind turbine on your home and that can power your home completely. So that's the kind of thing that we are working on. The another is in computing. So hard disk drive are still used you know, in advanced computing also for you know, the data storage at you know, large scale. And, and in case of hard disk drive, you know, there is a very thin lubricant you know, on the hard disk drive. So when the, uh, there is a power outage, the head snaps onto the, uh, your you know, data uh, magnetic disk and that can scratch and that ca cause the loss of data. Uh, the another important factor is the storage density of the disk drive can be increased if the distance between the flying head and the magnetic storage is smaller. So with the graphene, which is one atom thick, it also you know, has anti-corrosion properties, then it will not only you know, increase the storage density of the hard disk drive, but also the lifetime. So that's you know, the area that we are now you know, concentrating on. So I just wanted to give you an, you know, uh, perspective of what goes on, you know, into the research in big labs like Agron National Labs. So we we work on the basic research, which is, you know, if you look at the iceberg model, you know, so you only see the tip of the iceberg, but you don't know what goes, you know, around, which is all basic research. So it's from the breakthrough idea, you know, to come to the conclusion, and then what you see is the technology development and finally the product, that's what you see. But everything that goes around, you know, is all basic research. 
So just by thumb rule, you know, any technology that starts you know, with the idea to come up with the product is, takes about you know, 10 to 15 years. So any idea that starts now you know, is gonna take 10 to 15 years to come up with the product. So all that you know, time is spent in actually you know, how you can take the idea into the product. Now, even in the technology development space where most of the company work within this space, there are a lot of different you know, uh, sub-task into this and then that comes with you know, a scale-up cost, yield, repro reproducibility, performance matrix, you know, test trial, and then finally the product launch. So the company also has their own schedule. So it starts you know, at national lab, you know, taking the technology, having patents licensed by company, company work around it, you know, and then they come up with the product. And what you see you know, in the market is the final outcome of all this kind of investment. So it's a big cycle you know, that goes through it. So finally, you know, as a student, I think for you, I, I really would like to take home with this message is your great ideas today you know, going to change the world for tomorrow. So what you do here today is very, very important I mean, because you, know, you are the central focus of all the technological development that is going to happen tomorrow. So you know, when you go into your lab, when you are doing your homework, you know you are doing most important things. You know, and, and your passion is the one that's going to take from here to somewhere else. So what I'm you know saying is this: think big, always dream big. That is the most important thing. Thank you. Thank you, Ani. Um, that was a wonderful presentation. I enjoyed it immensely. I hope you all did as well. Uh, if you have any questions, we'll have, we have some time for questions. Anything you would like to ask, Dr. Suman? Now, maybe this, uh, maybe Dr. Fields has a question, sure. so I'm going to, there, he has a mic for you. My question is, you talked about the properties of graphene being one layer, and then you talk about coating the graphene on different components through a spray. And every picture looks like a hairspray bottle. Yes. Is that really how you're gonna get one layer, or it does more than one, more than yeah. one layer? Yeah, I think, you know, there are different, um, when I say about, you know, I couldn't go into much details, but for electronic properties, you know, uh, that people are using it in electronic circuits and sensor, you know, the one layer there is important. Whereas for tribological properties where we are working, you know, you need more than one layer, few layers. And that's why we are, we are coming up with a spray process. In fact, now we have another machine that can spray code on much larger area where you can pinpoint any area and then you can say that, yeah, there will be three layers, there will be four layers. So because the, the friction between the layers, you know, the shearing between the graphene planes is very, very low, and that gives the low friction. So when I say about graphene for tribology, it's not one layer, it's more number of layers. Whereas for electronics, yeah, it's one layer that is more efficient. Yeah, then by using the, the CBD process, you can make on copper, you know, grow on large area, just a single layer. Any more questions from students? Come on, students, you have to. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, that's a very important question. You know, I think my interest in science, you know, I knew that I have to do science when I was in fifth grade. And the credit goes to my teacher. <laughs> so, and, and that teacher was not even from science, it was a language teacher. And one day the teacher came and said, we're not going to talk about anything. Today we'll just talk about what you want to be. <laughs> and he started asking questions, you know, to each student, what you want to be. And everyone was giving the answer that to movie star or, you know, doctor, engineer. <laughs> and suddenly I said, you know, I want to be scientist. And I also didn't know why I said that. But, you know, when I started thinking later on, uh, is that every day uh, when my dad used to come back from office, he used to take me to the library. And I used to, you know, read the books mostly, which are, you know, scientist biography. And that somehow got implanted in my mind. And that answer came out, you know, through my mouth there. But with that question and answer session that actually triggered my thinking. And that's how I, you know, went towards science. So that's, that's why I think it's in your you know, mind, you need some kind of trigger. And that's why if you're not sure, and yeah, you're not sure at that point, at that age, what you want to be, that's why you, know, you go to the great resources. And uh, I think what the faculty is doing here is a good thing that you know, to exposure, give the exposure to different areas, not necessarily, of course, you know, science. Some wants to be in you know, a completely different area. So expose yourself while you are here different field then you will know in much greater depth that what you want to be give me one second to pass it over uh, did you like through throughout your whole career right do you find it gets easier doing what you do or do you think it just remains the same challenge yeah that's again very you know important question in fact I thought that my days in high school, you know, that those were more difficult than during the PhD. Because in high school and things, you know, you, you are looking at, you know, small, small things. And maybe I was actually, believe it or not, I didn't like mathematics at all <laughs> when I was in high school. Even though when I actually went for physics, you know, major, mathematics is the major, major thing. But somehow I was not intrigued by the mathematics. But when I you know, went to as upper level, you know, deep thinking about where it is used, you know, then I could relate that, oh, this is where it is used, you know, differential equation was kind of problem for me, you know, but when, when I saw where it is used, and then I got a kick out of it. So I think as you go to my personal experience, you know, go upper, you go more deeper, and that's more fun. Uh, it, it's what is important is keep your passion, never, you know, think the, that, this is not interesting for me because today it may not be interesting but tomorrow when you go to another advanced class and then you will realize why it was important to do that uh, so I think nothing is difficult in this world you know nothing it's just you have to keep pushing you know, keep focused and then you will find it very easy do you find it like if you ever like go back and like kind of do like easier like I guess like science you know, easier stuff that you used to do? Do you find it more fun, or do you just kind of find it like it's too easy, like I just? Uh, no, I mean, I, I always looked at every problem, you know, as a kind of, because I looked at that problem because I was keenly interested in it. I never thought about whether it is easy or whether it is difficult, but I found those were very interesting. 
Um, and you realize when you are working on that problem, there are, I mean, nothing is easy. Uh, but if you are genuinely interested, you know, you keep doing it and you will find the ways around it. So it's not a question of easy or difficult. It's just you have to like it. You know, if, if, you, see your, if you see your heart, your you know, brain is around it, your mind is around it, then you will figure out the way around it. Thank you. So what are some future careers that this can lead to? Yes, very important question. So, you know, in case of, a, you know, scientific or technological areas, uh, at Argonne, of course, you know, there are many different areas that we work on. Um, and you can you be a scientist, you know, and one of the examples that I always give, and this is including my son, uh, <laughs> because he was always asking me that, okay, you know, this is, you know, the nerdy area, what, you know, you don't make uh, necessarily more money around it, but I said, no, that's completely wrong, because when you are a scientist, you are developing technologies, you are kind of an entrepreneur, and, and uh, some of the examples that I mentioned, uh, you know, we were able to spin off many different companies. So a scientist is not a boring person who goes inside the lab and work around, around the clock. It's not like that any longer. You know, you produce new technology, you work with the companies, you know, your patents has been licensed by these companies. And that's how, you know, uh, it's, it's a very rewarding career. Not just uh, that, you know, you are interested by some and you are not a mad scientist. It's, you know, you look at Elon Musk, you know, and, and how he started his career and things. So there are many different areas that you can work uh, in this. And, and Argonne National Lab is a great resource. Uh, you know, I'm talking about only my discipline, but as a biologist, as a chemical engineer, you know, as a physicist, there are a huge number of opportunities in this area. So if you, you know, consider science as your you know, career pathway. Uh, I would also suggest you, you should also come to a career for women as an engineer at Argonne. Every year, you know, there's a big festival at Argonne. There's a big career, you know, festival that, uh, uh, and this is for women and also, uh, you know, there is another uh, for everybody. Uh, and it's a great way that you can learn about what are the career pathways uh, in a science, uh, so. So that just happened actually uh, last month. So it happened every you know year uh, in around you know in this time. So you should just check the Argon webpage and you will easily find out. Okay, we have one more question. Uh, yes, hi. I was just wondering, like, uh, like the graphene currently, like, where is it being produced? Is it just at the lab right now, or how widely? Um, from yeah. the states or the world, can it be produced? Yeah, no, that's a very excellent question. I mean, uh, the graphene, as I started, you know, I said it's 2004, you know, the first, you know, the work started at Manchester. And after 2010, when the Nobel Prize was announced, everywhere in the world, uh, there is a huge amount of research going on in the graphene. So uh, there are companies right now producing graphene. Uh, in fact, you know, we are helping some of the companies here in Illinois uh, to produce graphene, and, and there are products coming out. I actually, you know, uh, hold one of the graphene conference every year where they talk about what are the new products coming up. So uh, last year it was in Tennessee, and then 
you know there was a, a showcase about a new water filter uh, that is you know created with the graphene and then uh, it's a much more uh, you know cheaper uh, efficient water filter and then they actually also there is a sportswear now they are coming up with all kinds of fancy products now so the sportswear is when you wear it uh, and this is for you know like olympic athletes where you know even a fraction of a second matter uh, and and uh, you know so they are using the sportswear that allow them to dissipate the heat more quickly and they don't feel tired uh, and there was a bike that was also fabricated with a graphene enhanced composite. So uh, the weight is very less and the mechanical sturdiness is much higher. Uh, so the athlete can, can go at much higher speed. Uh, now there are some high-end technology products that you know, we are working on, uh, including graphene as a lubricant, as well as you know, sensors that can detect uh, you know, hazardous chemicals, like uh, if there is a, you know, any bomb that is someone carrying in a backpack just by the vapors that come out of that, you know, you can detect um, biosensors like anthrax and others, that's another area. Uh, we are also developing some of the sensor that can even detect some kind of a, you know, nuclear pollutant into the water. So uh, if there is any nuclear waste, you know, going into the water stream that you can detect that. Uh, one of the application that you will find it very interesting that we are working on is a tunnel digging sensor. <laughs> so across the border, and this was a company that you know we are collaborating with in Israel, uh, that they are working with tunnel digging sensor because if someone is you know digging a tunnel across the border, the frequency is very different than the troops going or the tanks going around. Uh, so the graphene being as a very high frequency or high you know young modulus, even a tiny vibration can be detected. So if you analyze the data, you can actually differentiate between the man walking or the troops walking versus someone is digging a tunnel. So that is for enhance, you know, uh, national security area and things like that. So there are tremendous applications now that are coming out of this graphic and some real products which are already coming out. Yeah, that's again, you know, important question is the cost is always the major factor, you know, for producing anything. So when in 2010 that the, the price was announced, the cost of graphene was very high. Uh, but now just, you know, within seven, eight years, the cost of the graphene is going, you know, even more than half. So now we can produce graphene, which was previously like a hundred, to $500 per gram to like a, a dollar per gram now. Uh, and the same for the CVD grown. So you can now uh, produce CVD grown graphene on a roll to roll basis. Previously we were growing it on few samples, but now you can grow on roll to roll basis. So very much large area graphene. Uh, so the cost is not a problem. Uh, I mean, if you see a lot of advantages in its properties, you know, the people will work around the cost. Uh, and the source of, I think the only limitation there is where you get graphene, you know, I mean graphite mines is the one. I mean, same limitation is for lithium ion batteries. So lithium is, is you know, coming from mines. And so the natural resources are the main, you know, bottleneck there. But as long as for graphite, I mean, there are many natural resources that you can excavate graphite and then converts into graphene. 
but for CVD, you know, you don't need that. For CVD, you just use methane gas and produce the. Yeah, I mean, uh, the reason, the main reason why we were interested in a nanowire project was because we were working on uh, how to mass produce nanowires. Because conventionally, the nanowires are, you know, deposited by using the chemical vapor deposition. And the yield is not that high. Uh, so we were thinking if there is any electrochemical method, you know, that can be produced. But the existing electrochemical methods always use the template which needs to be sacrificed, only one time use. So that's how we came up with the idea of using diamond as a reusable template. And that completely, you know, changed the game. Uh, because you can use the same template over and over and can mass produce this, you know, uh, nanowires on large area. So that was the major breakthrough. But then we started thinking because the, the collaborator with which I was working with, uh, Professor Mike Zak, he was from a you know, university, small university, and you know, he was also thinking about, yeah, we discovered this, but how can we translate that for students' benefit? And that's how we came up with the you know, next generation SEMS kit. So you can have this kind of electrochemical set, which is uh, you know, driven by nine volt battery in your classroom and the student can learn about electrochemistry, learn about nanowire manufacturing, and can build some small circuits, and, and that's, I think, a great way to teach them. So. On that note, I, I would like to, uh, you know, uh, repeat that we do have Dr. Suman's kit in, in Chem 132 uh, for the honors students. We are going to do that, and I will open it up to the other students. I'll let you know when we do that experimentation, Maybe you can't participate in it yet, but you can at least observe it. So uh, we do have that kit, and we will make, we'll utilize that. And um, I would uh, like to thank Dr. Sumanth now for his time, um, unless there are any other questions that we have. You know, um, if you get a chance to view his uh, uh, talk again, that would be a wonderful thing because I don't think you will remember everything that he talked about. His talk, his every slide had nuances in it. If you, depending upon what level of science and technology you are at, you could glean a lot of things. He talked a lot about applications. So even if you don't watch the, the video again, something that he talked about, maybe one thing that might have, you know, that you might notice, please go about learning about that a little bit more. Go home and think about, pick just one thing that he talked about today that interested you, that caught your attention. Maybe it was an application, maybe it was a, a phase diagram. I don't think so, but you never know, right? Uh, but we will talk about phase diagrams a little bit later if I haven't touched on that yet. But whatever it is, just pick one thing because you know, every time I see you, I can never leave you without giving you something to do, some homework or something, assign something for you to do, right? So I, I, I want to urge you to take up one thing that he talked about that interested you and find out about it. Find out more about it. And then when you come back to his presentation, you will find that he mentioned something more about it that you might not have gleaned at that first thought, okay? But with that, I'd like to thank Annie. Thanks for being here. Our pleasure to have you. And uh, let's give him one more round of applause. Thank you. Thank you.